0: The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracetysd.com. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female he created them, and he blessed them and named them man, for they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. THUS ALL THE DAYS THAT ADAM LIVED WERE 930 YEARS, AND HE DIED. LET'S PRAY. LORD, THIS IS YOUR WORD, YOUR SPOKEN WORD TO US, THAT YOU HAVE GIVEN TO US TO BEHOLD YOU, TO UNDERSTAND YOU, TO LAY HOLD OF THE PROMISES THAT YOU HAVE FOR US. WE THANK YOU FOR YOUR WORD, BECAUSE IT IS ALIVE. IT DELVES DEEP INTO OUR VERY INNERMOST BEING, LORD. And we ask you this morning that you would anoint the word to do just that, send it forth to do your plan and your goals. We know that it will not return to you void. We pray for power and anointing upon Randall as he speaks, that the words that come out of his mouth would be life-giving. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Nancy. All right, good morning. All right, if you've got your Bibles today, we're going to turn to Genesis 4. We're going to start there at the end of the chapter. Um, I just want to welcome you this morning. This is your first time. My name is Randall, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And from the beginning of the year, we've been looking through the book of Genesis. So now we've gotten to Genesis 4, and we're looking in Genesis 4 and into 5. Um, And the series has been the gospel in Genesis. Um, The gospel, what does that mean? Gospel means good news. And so, as we look through the book of Genesis, what's the good news that we can find in this book? Well, it's all throughout, and we've been looking at uh, the first family. You know, we started with uh, talking about how God had created Adam and Eve, and and now we've seen uh, the fall, and and then there's a family that comes into their lives after the fall. And so, what's the message that we're gonna talk about today? Well, this is, I, I think, I don't say this a lot. You know, pastors like, this is the most important message I've ever given, all those types of things. I don't do that a lot. But this, to me, means a lot. This message means a lot. Um, And here's what the message is. It's a lasting legacy. A lasting legacy. Uh, Recently, you know, for me, I've been married almost 14 years uh, to my wife, and uh, we have three kids. And so they're nine, six, and five. And I was driving them uh, home one day from school. Um, And along the road on Genesee, we had these benches, Grace City. And so as we were driving by, my five-year-old catches a glimpse of the Grace City sign. And she says, that's the Grace City bench. And she starts saying, Grace City, Grace City. And then like the whole van starts chanting, Grace City. And we're all just chanting Grace City together. And that was really fun. And then she looks at me and she says, Dad, I'm so happy that our our family helped start Grace City. I'm so happy that our family helped start. This was a five-year-old who said that. And for me, it felt like a little bit of a glimpse of what me and my wife are, are leaving behind in our kids. You see, this is a big part of their lives. And for me, when I get to hear that they're sharing about their faith, about who God is, they're they're having actual conversations with their friends about God. It's just a gift to see just a little bit of what's seeping into their lives. Because here's the thing I know. At 36 years old, I know that those 36 years went like that. And I know that my time, however long God allows, is gonna be like that. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, it says, so so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You see, what what is wisdom? What, What does God say about wisdom? Wisdom is living in a way where your life is navigated by God. It's it's coming and saying, first off, it's acknowledging I am a fool. That's the hard part, right, for all of us. Like, I don't know. I don't have the answers. But then wisdom is coming to God and saying, God, will you teach me what the answers are? To number our days. To say, you know what, I don't have forever. And so, how are we to live whatever you allow, God? Well, that's wisdom. You see, we all must come to a point where we look over our lives and, and say, what is it that's gonna last? What's gonna last? In this biography of Apple founder and architect, Steve Jobs, Walter Isaacson gives a glimpse into Jobs' thinking as he contemplated death. Here's what Isaacson writes. He says he talked about his experiences in India almost four decades earlier, his study of Buddhism and his views on reincarnation and spiritual transcendence. He says, I'm about 50-50 on believing in God. For most of my life, I felt that there must be more to our existence than meets the eye. I like to think something survives after you die with all that he accomplished, by the end of his life, he's still searching. Still searching. Maybe today, you've come here, you're in that place. You you, you don't have clear spiritual direction. You're searching for God, You're, you're asking yourself, okay, is God real? Is he there? Does he care? One thing that's a reality for all of us, and, and Steve Jobs included, and we know that, is that we must all come to terms with our mortality. Our mortality. So Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And so what what do we see from today's text that, uh, about a lasting legacy? Well, we see three truths that we can take from today's text. The, the, These are what they are. I'm gonna give you all three up front. Number one, the importance of knowing God. Number two, prioritizing relationships. And number three, the last day. Knowing God, prioritizing relationships, the last day. So, knowing God. Look, Look at verse one in chapter five. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So there's this shift, there's this transition. Some commentators look at this and they say, "Okay, this must be a, a place where someone had written something and then it was like placed here." We don't know. Like it, it's just a history, it just kind of just compounded right in there. Why did God put that there? Why does it read like that? Well, it's taking us back to Adam's beginning, to his birth, to when life started for Adam. And it begins with God. Right, we've been looking at at the creation story and God from the very beginning creating Adam and Eve. And so when we look back at Adam's story, it starts with God. It says first, this is the book of the generations of, of Adam. You want to know what Adam's story is? Here's what it says. It says this, he was made in the image of God. See, to truly understand human history, ourselves, we must look back to the beginning, Right? For many of us, we, we, we take those DNA tests, we send them in because we wanna know our family lineage, we wanna know where we came from. And so when it takes us back to Adam's story, it says that Adam's story begins with God, this is his lineage and this is the lineage of humanity. God was at the start. Whether we believe it or not today, human history begins with God and it ends with God. All the way in the back, the last book of the Bible, Revelation uh, 22, verse 13, here's what it says. It says, God speaking, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. What does that mean? God encompasses all of history. It's all God's. And so for all of us, if we start somewhere other than God, we'll get very confused. Very confused. You know, I was listening to a seminar recently, I was in one, and it was talking about the way in which we think about things. It says this generation, the culture, the way we process information, he says there was a time when we used to take truth and we used to say that I didn't have the truth, the truth is not within me, and so I, I need to look at the truth because the truth is outside of me. And so we, we would look at it and we would say, okay, I need to learn, I need to adapt, and so truth, I, I kind of need to adapt to truth that's outside of me. But what he said now is like the way that we think as humans in, in our culture and in our, in our society is that we think, no, 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 the truth is not out here, but it's in here. It's in here. And so it's my truth. And so whatever is deep within me, that's what truth is and I'm just gonna look deep within myself and I'm gonna define myself the way that I believe truth should be. And he said what's happened is our society is very, very confused about what truth is. But what does is, what is the gospel say? What does the Christianity say? If we take it back and we look at the lineage of Adam and we look at that he was created by God What does it offer us that 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 thing that's within us that just says, I'm the the creator of who I am and I'm the one who decides what truth is, what does it challenge? It challenges those moments when you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, do I have any value or worth? Does anyone care? Is my life valuable? All of those deep questions within that, that, that we within ourselves we can't answer i try to as much as i can but i can't but what do i find out about an outside truth that comes into my life i find out that there's a god outside of me who looks at me and says i love you and that he created us in his likeness and in his image and that every person is created in that image in that likeness and you are valuable you were inherently valuable because you've been made in the image of God. You've been made in the image of God. Right? So that, that's the outside truth that as we look at the lineage of Adam coming into his life, it's saying he wasn't finding truth outside of God but in God, in God. It was in knowing God that he was able to find out who he truly was. In August 2014, economist Brian Fickert gave a talk entitled First World Poverty. And in this talk, he asked a question, he says, why has there been such an explosion of mental illness in the United States post World War II? He goes on to say, in June 2002, a conference was held at Dartmouth uh, Medical School in which the leading scientists and medical professionals were brought together to try to determine what was it that was causing the explosion of mental illness in America? What these scientists discovered was the following in their study hardwired to connect. Again, secular study. Human beings are fundament- fundamentally wired for relationships, and that the youth in America are experiencing a breakdown in two primary areas in relationships. One of those was with other people, and the second primary relationship is with God Himself. Secular scientists saying that a breakdown in those two relationships are contributing to mental illness. Again, trying to find truth within, we're lost. But a truth outside of us that's greater than us that comes into our lives, that's when healing happens. See, this is very relevant for us modern people because the more advanced we get, the more we are realizing that something is missing and we need to know God. You you know the thing about Genesis when it talks about that Adam and Eve walked with God? You know what that walking means in the Old Testament? A friendship. A friendship. This friendship with God. And that it was possible to have a friendship with God is the deepest need that all of us have. It says we are created for that. See, like an orphan searching for their birth parents, we too are wired in a way where we are in deep need to know him, to walk with him, to have friendship and fellowship with God. Jai Packer in his book Knowing God says this, knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded. As it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you, this way you can waste your life and lose your soul. Waste it. So the first thing we learn is knowing God is vitally important. Number two, prioritizing relationships. Prioritizing relationships. Uh, look at verses two and three. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered his son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. You're gonna see some numbers here. You're like, 130? Okay, that was young, okay? <laughs> but commentators say yeah, this is, there's no arguments here. It is what it is. This is literal, right? And so, like, we can't understand that. Like, that's hard for us to understand, but you'll see in Genesis 6 where it talks about that a little bit. But prioritizing relationships. So what we learned so far in Genesis is that we are made for relationship with God and for relationship with others. Uh, God created us to know him, but also to to have those relationships with other people. Um, Genesis 2.18, it said, it is not good for man, or that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And so we talked about this this relationship dynamic uh, that God creates here Um, and and for us you know we we step back and we talked about this a couple weeks ago but this is not only romantic relationship It, it doesn't say that you know it is not good for man to be single right like we talked about that like it's okay like if you're single today it's it's okay but our society doesn't say that Right, just kind of presses it on you like you have to have this romantic relationship. We worship romantic relationships. Not in the Bible, not in the Bible. And so we are fully content in who we are and who God made us to be in singleness. It was a gift, it was a gift to Jesus himself, right? Jesus lived 33 years, single life. The Apostle Paul did more than any of the other guys in the the New Testament, single guy, but here's the thing. The apostle Paul himself, he writes about marriage and he says you can see Jesus all through marriage. He loved marriage. Right? But he said you don't have to. And so it was a great gift to be single but also to be married. And so the way God creates marriage, it happens in Genesis 2 and it, it's really shocking. right? Because th- it, like, we don't get it but like the buildup was this. It's like, okay, God says I'm gonna create Man. And then what happens is God creates somebody with the te- like opposite him. Like, if God was going to create, he would just, maybe he just makes somebody just like Adam. But he doesn't. He makes him someone like opposite him to have a relationship with. And Adam starts singing. He's got a poem. It's, it's really amazing. Um, you should read through it. But this is what happens at the, and this was completely unexpected. God gives him this, this amazing gift of woman. And so now God does a wedding ceremony and we look back at Adam's life and this was extremely important because he's talking about it right here. And so in verse two, it says, male and female, he created them and he blessed them. He blessed them. What is that? God's blessing on the marriage. God doing the ceremony and, and named them man. Um, man, the humanity. Humanity is not complete without man and woman. Humanity, right? And so uh, all of this is coming together. They were created. And so do you see God's priority of marriage in this passage? Now, for Adam in his life, it's... It started with knowing God, that was first priority, then secondly talks about his marriage. That's second priority in life. So let me ask, if you're married today, or maybe you're thinking about it, someday I'd like to be married, engaged, off in the distant future, but you're thinking about it, let me ask you this, do you believe that marriage is next after your relationship with God? Do you believe it's next after your relationship with God? I remember when I was talking with my wife, I shared this before, but when we were dating, I said, I need you to love God more than you love me. It's a weird feeling. You're like, it goes against the grain of our culture. But I said, I need you to love God more than you love me because I need to love God more. That's the only way that this is gonna work. It's the only way. And so as we... Look at Adam's life, this is a a huge part of his life because do you see the shift that happens here? Do you see the them? He created them, he blessed them, they were created. It's no longer Adam on his own, alone. It's no longer about the individual. It's in a prenuptial agreement. Hey, I'm gonna keep this stuff and no, it's it's a commitment for life. Okay? And so as they came before God, this is marriage. God formed a team. One thing Laura and I have said from the beginning, before kids or anything, it was team Tanini. We are team Tanini. High five, Team Tanini. Th- th- we are a team, right? We are together in this. And it wasn't just when kids came into the picture that we became Team Tanini. God made us a team, and His intention was for our marriage to be the second priority in our lives. And so let me ask if you're married, how's your team doing? How's your team doing? Communication, serving each other, love and respect, intimacy, trust. You know, there's something interesting that God says in Genesis 2 that's that skipped over many times and, and it's very important. I make sure to point it out whenever I do a, ma- a-, a wedding. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Hold fast to his wife. See, there's some practical wisdom to this because according to the Bible, marriage is meant to be a fresh start, a fresh start. It says that a a, a man should leave his father and mother and so God is casting out and saying this is the way that it's meant to be. You are meant to not carry the baggage of your family past, maybe some of your cultural things into the marriage because this is a fresh start. Those aren't excuses. February 2019, the New York Times came out with this article. It says, Japan's uh, working mothers, record responsibilities, little help from dads, men in Japan do fewer hours of housework and childcare than in any of the world's richest nations. Now, some of us look at that in our country, and we say, man, that is, that's wrong. Like, what's going on here? But in certain cultures, it's different. And so that's why I'm saying, like, in some way, we have to leave our culture to have a fresh start, to have a marriage that's going to be healthy. Because you could just say, well, that's just my culture. That's just who I am. You see, there are, there are extremes we can take in a marriage if we don't leave our father and mother or culture. And this can cause some major tension if. We are inflexible about those things, and, and we don't have what the Bible talks about that leaving and cleaving, cleaving to one another with a fresh start. Here's some of the dangers. Well, this is how my or your family did it. It's how my family did it. You should be more like my mom, you should be more like my dad. You're too much like. Your mom. You're too much like your dad. I'll never do what my family did. I'll never do what your family did. We'll never do that in this household. You see what what, what can happen if we hold on to some of the baggage and the things of our past and we don't have a fresh start? it can bring some major hurts and pains into a relationship which God is starting from the beginning and saying start here, care for one another, love each other, and learn what it means to be married. Learn together what it means to be married. See, because if we don't, there's this emotional thing of not leaving that can happen. It can cause divisions and lack of trust. Argument happens. I'm calling my mom. Get on the phone. You wouldn't believe what he did today. And so what happens when mom comes and sees husband next time? Not good. Not good. See, that's what happens with not leaving. It's the financial trust. Like, okay, I'm just going to depend on my parents. And then it's like this weird thing that happens, right? Not leaving. One of the best things that happened for us, for me and my wife, was that we moved to the middle of Illinois right after getting married. And it, I'm sorry, Brooke, I know you're from there. This was probably one of the worst places I've ever lived. <laughs> I mean, it, there was nothing out there. The wind would just whip across the cornfields and smack you in the face. And I was, uh, uh, oh man, you don't want to go there, right? Like, but it, but for me and my wife, we had to learn to leave and hold on to one another. I had an internship where I was making fifty bucks a week, and my wife's working at Starbucks, right? And we're making it work. But that was one of the things for us where it was like, okay, we're learning what it means to. Hold on to one another and work through this, even if it's snowing right now. We're, we're, you know, like, I don't want to drive in that. And we had to ask each other, okay, how are we going to divvy up responsibilities? How's this family going to work? Hold on, so you want me to do the finances? You want me to pay all the bills because that's what your dad did? Well, my mom did it and, you know. Okay, but it causes you too much stress? All right. I'm gonna learn to do it. I'm gonna learn to do it. And right? it's working together as a team. And so as God is talking, giving us this gift, he's saying, there's ways you gotta leave to, to be healthy. And now look at verse three. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Lastly, we see the order of children in our lives. Right, and so again, This is super important. In 2011, Linda and Charlie uh, Bloom wrote an article in Psychology Today entitled, Who Comes First, the Kids or the Marriage? And here's what they said. Making your kids the centerpiece of your lives may seem like a good idea, but generally it's not. When one or both partners make their children's happiness a higher priority than the health of their marriage, they run the risk of neglecting the needs of the marriage and in doing so, fostering feelings of resentment, neglect, resignation, and alienation in themselves and or each other. Now you might say, yeah, 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 I get that, but that's, that's pop psychology. Come on, Randall, like that's pop psychology, but do, do you know what came before pop psychology? God's word, God's word. And God had already said this long before pop psychology did. And this only confirms the order we see in today's text and throughout the Bible, Right, throughout the Bible And so finally the third the last day the last day uh, verse 4 through 5 the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died your eyes probably fo- focused on the 930 years right <laughs> it's like what But what about the part where it says he died? He died. You see, we live in a culture where we are just enamored by the first day. We are enamored with it. That that first day, the the wedding day, it's gonna be big. We're not gonna have any money, but it's gonna be huge. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be great. Enamored with that first day. Kids, right, they're born. First day, I mean, that'll shock you. It will change things for you. First day at work, my first job. Friendships, I mean, you know, those friendships that pop up on Facebook. Like, you became friends with this person three years ago. Oh, cool, like, let me share that real quick. You know, like, first day on Facebook. We are actually friends like 20 years before that. You know, first day is church, church. First day you go to church. But here's my question, what about the last day? What about the last day? What about the last day of my marriage? Because my hope is that it's gonna be my wife holding my hand as I'm ushered into eternity or the other way around, or maybe we're together. But that's what I think about, the last day. We get so hyped up about that first day. When I got married, I was 22 years old. What about the last day? Right? My kids, what's their last day going to be like? Work? Right? Like, you're going to have jobs that just kind of come and go, but what's the last day like? Do we leave well? Or do we just burn bridges and relationships? Class day. Friendships. Church. Right? Like we at least live in this culture which is like jump here, there, wherever. Like, man, we're writing this narrative everywhere. And James 4, 13 through 17 says, come now. You say today or tomorrow go uh, into such and in a such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. I mean, that's our culture. That's our society. We're so mobile that you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist. It appears for a little time and then vanishes, vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What lasted for Adam's life? What's mentioned in the previous verses in Genesis four twenty five through 26. And Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth, also a son was born and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord people began to call on the name of the Lord. See, what's the legacy? What's being left behind? There's this knowledge of knowing that it's our lives are to call on the name of the Lord. See, what's the tombstone? One of my favorite quotes is by a guy named Count Count of Zinzendorf. Count of Zinzendorf. Here's what he says. He says, "Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten." You can't be forgotten with a name like Count of Zinzendorf. Okay, you just can't. <laughs> Sorry, it's not going to happen. So <laughs> but that was his intention, right? It's just to like tell people the good news of who God is. To die, in his words, to be forgotten. Why, because you wanna leave something that's bigger than yourself behind, the last days. And so just some takeaways really quickly. How does knowing God transform your life and legacy? Number one, it reorients. You know, this, this past week I saw a friend shared an article in the New York, New York Post entitled Going to Church is America's Key to Long and Happy Lives by Tim Carney. Here's what he says, he says, as I lay out in my new book, Alienated America, in middle class and working class America, the more religious counties do better, the least religious counties do worse. There are piles of data on this. Men who go to church regularly are, according to various studies, more likely to get married and less likely to cheat on their wives or girlfriends to abuse them or to get divorced. It's the same for kids, church-going kids uh, uh, abuse drugs less and have better relationships with their parents, according to Robert Putnam, author of Bowling Alone, The Collapse and Revival of American Community. Um, what's the point of this? Right, like, well, this again, secular studies, just dissecting the church, looking at people that uh, of faith and saying, okay, this is kind of the stats that are coming out there. Here's the thing about this, it's, the church, like for real, like God's people, that people that know God, they're going to help reorient you and, and they help reorient me in life and point me back to Jesus. See, we, we can't do this alone. We can't do this alone. One of my friends, Ryan, who, who was with us when we, we helped start the church. I can't tell you how many times we've just stood there in the courtyard saying, man, I really stunk as a dad this week. man, I was just mean to my wife. Hey, can you just pray for me about this or that? I mean, just confessing. Why? Because knowing God reorients us to God and helps us with our relationships out here. It's important relationships. Because I need something more than myself. I need truth outside of me that comes into my life and transforms me to be different. And so knowing God, it reorients us. Number two, it humbles, it humbles. Here's the thing when you start to know God. You start to take Him seriously and yourself not so seriously. We take ourselves way too seriously, don't we? But knowing God, it humbles us in a way where we say, man, I, I guess I wasn't right. I guess I got some things that really do need to change in my life. See, see what do you need for a good relationship to work, a marriage, anything like that? What, what you need is humility. Humility. You wanna tell me, you, you, want, you wanna know what humility looks like? And this is, works with friendships, any of these things. You need the hum- humility to take critique without being crushed by it. How can you do that when, when you don't take yourself too seriously? You can take critique and say, okay, yeah, I can learn from that. And you are not crushed by it, devastated by it. See, this is with friendships too. Humility, to give critique without hurting. Sensitivity to look at somebody and say I love you so much that I'm willing to come into the hurt and the pain and give critique even though it might hurt me even if it's something that you don't want to hear right that's that's because humility humility to forgive one another when hurt right it's to say I'm sorry it's to say I need forgiveness It's to say, I didn't get it right. It didn't come out right. My heart's not right. Right? There's a humility in this because what happens is when humility comes into our life, when knowing God and he humbles us, what happens is we become more sensitive and we start to see the same truth, whether that be in a friendship, whether that be in a marriage, whether that be with your kids, any of those things. You start to see the same truth. One movie that is like on my top five of all time is, don't let, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. And I mean, I love Bruce Lee, but on, in that movie, there's this scene that is just seared into my mind. Uh, Bruce is dating a girl. They go to a movie together. This lady, Linda, would eventually become his wife. They go into this movie together and they're watching the screen. And she looks over at Bruce. She says, you're really gonna like this part. And then a guy comes on the screen pretending to be Asian and starts joking and making fun and just kind of, And everybody in the theater is laughing. And she kind of chuckles to herself and then she looks over at Bruce. And he's not laughing. And she says, hey, I think we should go. And so they walk out. That's seeing the same truth. That's for the first time she started to see something through somebody else's eyes. And I wanna say, some husbands in here, maybe Holy Spirit's speaking to you on that. And you need to be sensitive of what your wife's going through. Or maybe you're dating somebody. Or maybe you're looking at your kids, and you're saying, Holy Spirit, help me to start to see the same truth, because that's humility, that's what it does. Because we're leaving a legacy, whether we like it or not. Lastly, it redefines. Redefines who I am. I don't have to wonder anymore if I'm loved, if I'm cared for, if I'm valuable. Again, J.I. Packer says, there's no peace like the peace of those whose minds are possessed with the full assurance that they have known God and God has known them and that this relationship guarantees God's favor to them in life through death and on forever. Redefines who I am. And it starts to redefine what matters. You know, John Piper gave this sermon called Seashells. And he talks about two ladies at the beginning of the message, he says, uh, Ruby Eliasson and, and Laura Edwards, he says they were killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80. She was single all her life, a nurse. Poured her life into one thing, Jesus, and that Jesus would be known among the sick and the poor. Laura was a medical doctor, Twin Cities, in her retirement. Brakes gave way when they were driving in Cameroon. Over a cliff they go, They're dead instantly. He asks the crowd, he says, was that a tragedy? Was that a tragedy? And the believers in the room, they said, no, it's not. And he says, you're right, it's not. He says, I'll read you a tragedy. He says, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Florida, cruise a 30-foot trawler, play softball collect shells he looks the says, that's a tragedy with all my heart I plead with you don't buy that dream as a last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did here it is Lord my seashell collection my amazing golf swing but look at my boat he said don't waste your life and so that's my encouragement to you don't waste your life. Don't waste your legacy on something that won't last because here today, what will be the lasting legacy? Well, what we find is that in Luke 3.38, there's this passage which is in the New Testament, the birth of Jesus. Now takes us back to Genesis. Here's what it says. Luke 3.38, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Adam's lineage leads to Jesus. Who did we see was born? Seth. It all points to him. Do you see that he's the only one worth building a legacy on today? The only one. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you're with us, that you're helping us to look to something that's bigger than ourselves. That's you. And so I pray, Lord, that You take our lives, the legacy that you're writing on our hearts and our lives. And may it all point to you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.